Glad you're here this morning, and we would want to study God's Word together. And if you didn't bring a Bible, you'd like to borrow one, just raise your hand, and the ushers will bring you a Bible. And you can just leave it on the pew when you're done. If you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and take it home with you. While the ushers are passing out Bibles, just continue on with that. I, I, I remember two weeks ago, we paused before my sermon to pray about all the tragedy that was happening within our congregation at the time. Well, this uh, Sunday, I want to pause and pray for the variety of tragedies that's been happening in the Evanston area. Uh, many of you know that uh, many of you were involved in, in searching for the missing Northwestern student, uh, Harsha Madula. That was, yeah, he was later found uh, dead and very traumatic situation at, for Northwestern and, and many of you. He was an 18-year-old sophomore. Um, just a tragic situation. And, and then in addition to that, um, a 14-year-old ETHS freshman, uh, Deja Coleman, was uh, also um, this week as he's walking home from a party. He was, he was shot uh, and killed. Uh, and as he was a you know, basketball player at ETHS. Maybe some of you go to school with him. Uh, very, uh, just another tragedy just this week. It's been kind of just piling it on for Northwestern and the Evanston area. And so I think before we're going to get into the Word, let's just, let's just stop and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I just want to stop and say, uh, just ask for you to remind us that uh, you are sovereign and in control. And we, we want to call out to you and ask for mercy. Mercy upon uh, these families, the Coleman family and Wadula family, that you would just show great uh, mercy to them and grace and comfort from you. And Lord, for, for a variety of us who are, who are involved directly in ministering to these families or uh, friends of theirs, I just ask that you would use us to bring um, gospel comfort and, and gospel witness to, of, of love and mercy and, and truth in Jesus. And, and Lord, I just ask that you would Give us the ability to rest in your sovereign care during this time of suffering and be instruments of comfort. If we have received comfort during our suffering, that we would be instruments of comfort to others in their suffering. And Lord, as we get into your word this morning, I just ask that great things would happen, that you would awaken us. If there's anybody here this morning who is falling away it is, or in a spiritual slump or does not know you, or are distracted, I just ask that significant things would happen in our lives this morning by the power of your Spirit and your Word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to welcome, finally, those of you who are students who are back, especially I'd like to welcome the, the freshmen who are back. And I just want to encourage the freshmen, I'm, I'm sure you'll hear this, that it is crucial for you during your four years uh, or so of school to be involved in a, a local church because a local church is a very, very formative place where you can grow in your doctrine, grow in what you believe, and, and kind of just shaping your life. Because I tell you what, a lot can happen in four years. A ton can happen in four years. And whether or not EBF is going to be your home church or not, I just want to encourage you this. Find a church that actually believes the Bible and wants to do it. If you have no intent of finding a church that believes the Bible and wants to do it, just sleep in. Because you're just going to waste your time if you go to church that doesn't believe the Bible and wants to do it. I mean, what, what's, what's the point of that? Just sleep in. But perhaps this will be your church over your time here. If not, find a gospel-believing church so God can shape you by his word and you can live out the gospel. 
Now, on our church on Sunday mornings, what we do is we preach through books of the Bible. We start, and we kind of go through it. We kind of bop back and forth, Old Testament and New Testament. Last year, we did the book of Matthew. Over the summer, we did 2 Peter. And this fall, we're finally going to start the book of Proverbs. Maybe you've read the book of Proverbs. Maybe not. Maybe you've heard of Proverbs. So let's go ahead and turn to the book of Proverbs in your Bible. Look in the table of contents if you can't find it. After the book of Psalm, if you can't find it, hand your Bible to the person next to you and ask them to find it for you. But find the book of Proverbs. We're going to start this morning in Proverbs chapter 1. There is a preacher out of the Atlanta area whose name is um, Andy Stanley, and he's written a variety of books. But one of his books that he wrote on decision-making was very informative, very encouraging. I want to put it up for you. The book is called The Best Question Ever, A Revolutionary Approach to Decision-Making. And the gist of the book is that all of us, no matter who we are, we make decisions in life. We make professional decisions, we make relational decisions, we make family decisions, we make financial decisions. And too many times when we are making all these decisions, the question that we are asking as we make these decisions is, anything wrong with it? That's the question we ask. Is there anything wrong with the decision I am about to make? Is it a moral decision? Is it an ethical decision? And is it a biblical decision? And if it's moral and it's ethical and it's biblical, then we can go ahead and proceed and assume that it is the right decision. But he says, you know what? That's a good question to ask. I mean, you want to be asking it. Is it a moral, ethical, biblical decision you're about to make? But it's, it's not enough to just ask that. Because did you know that we can make moral, ethical, and biblical decisions in some sense? And we say, this is nothing wrong with what I'm about to do. And it could still not be the exact right decision. I'm going to explain that in a minute. Because we need more than just to follow the rules, because sometimes the rules in the Word don't apply to every single situation we face. And so if we're just walking around saying, is it moral, is it ethical, is it biblical, and then we say, on that grounds, we're going to make that decision, it's not enough. And so he's saying the most important question ever is not, is it right or is it wrong? He said the most important question ever is the question, is it wise? Is it wise? Because we're trying to not just be moral people by the grace of God and walk in holiness. We're trying to be morally wise people. We're trying to be holy people, sanctified by grace, who are wise and make wise decisions. Let me just kind of show you how this fleshes out. Let's just say, now this is total hypothetical, and you'll understand it here in a moment. But let's just say there is a guy and a girl in this congregation who are Ph.D. students. And I know there are many of you who are Ph.D. students, so that, that part's true. But let's say there are PhD students, a guy and a girl, who decide that they want to date one another. It's not like a PhD actually has time to date, but let's just say in this situation, two PhD students have time and they are going to date one another. Now, they find themselves in these situations where they need to study, because I hear that's what PhD students need to do. They need to study a lot. And so what happens is they, they study in each other's apartment, kind of alternate, Late at night. Is there anything illegal about studying in someone else's apartment late at night? Nope. Is there anything on the surface level um, unethical about that? On the surface level, probably not. But is that wise? It's amazing how many conversations I have with couples who are dating, and they struggle with purity. And I love to ask them, when do you struggle with purity? 
And I'm like, well, let me guess. I bet it's not at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. No, 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 it's not. And I say, it is when we're up late at night and we're alone. That's why we've got to move beyond, is it, is it moral for us to be and hang out together late at night? No, there's nothing immoral about that. But you know what? Is it wise and what does it lead to? Here's another scenario. Let's just say, um, for those of you who have a heart to care for the poor, which I assume that is most of you. Most of you want to care for the poor. And so maybe you would give your change to homeless, or maybe you would give donations to other people who need money, who are in need. And, and I want to ask you a question. Is it immoral to do that? No. Is it illegal? No. Probably not. Is it unethical? No. But here's the question. Is it wise? Well, in some cases, yes, it might be wise. But in other cases, maybe you're giving to the poor is enabling them to stay in their situation of poverty. So rather than offering them a relationship, a job, a, 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 an ability to get out of that poverty, you just kind of hang out with them and say, hey, you need 10 bucks? Here's, here's 10 bucks. You need 100 bucks? Here, here's 100 bucks. And that may be the wise thing to do, but maybe not. See, if we're just going to deal with the surface level or whether things are moral or not moral, then we're going to just walk around assuming we're making all the right decisions. But the question we need to ask is, is it wise? Are we making godly, morally wise decisions? This is where the book of Proverbs comes into play. Because it takes the word of God and it brings it to life in the huge decisions you have to make and the small decisions you have to make. And it helps us narrow in so we can walk around and live as morally wise people saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, empowered by his spirit to make wise decisions. And so where do we get that wisdom from? Book of Proverbs. Let's look at it. I want to kind of get organized for you this morning because some of you like organization. I occasionally do. So we've got the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. You've got the first seven verses. If you want to follow along, it's universally broken down in these three ways. Let me just kind of put it up there for you. Verse 1 is the title. 2 through 6 is the goal. Verse 7 is the motto. If that helps you structure-wise, that's fine. So let's go ahead and jump right in to Proverbs 1, verse 1. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, King of Israel. Let's go ahead and stop there. Now, you see the word Proverbs. You're like, what, what, what are Proverbs? Like, can you even explain Proverbs? Now, for those of you who are on Twitter, you, you could look at Proverbs like this. Proverbs are tweets on reality. Proverbs are tweets on reality. You can go ahead and tweet that if you want. But they're tweets on reality. They're, they're like these, these small little pithy statements that you think are no big deal, and you just kind of throw them out there, and then they smack you in the face. They really pack a punch. Here, I'm going to give you one proverb and just kind of get you excited about the book. Let me put this up. Proverbs 26.11 says this. Like a dog that returns to his vomit, gross, is a fool who repeatedly, who repeats his folly. I mean, that, that, that imagery is so striking. And that's kind of what Proverbs does. You're like, whoa, what, is, what does that mean? That is disgusting. And, there, and there's a lot of Proverbs like that that really pack a punch as they have these tweets on reality. 
And we're told that these Proverbs come from a man here, led by the Lord, and his name is Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And maybe you know the story. One night, uh, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, Hey, Solomon, what do you want? Ask me, what do you want me to give you? And Solomon did not ask to conquer his enemies. He did not ask to, to get all the money in the world. Solomon asked to be wise. He asked for wisdom. Now, why would he do that? He had the Old Testament law. He, he had hundreds of commands. So why would he ask for wisdom? Because he needs wisdom to take these laws and these commands and make them narrow in with precision on these nitty-gritty details of life. And he, he didn't have that. Because he could say, well, I got the law, I can make these morally wise decisions, but it just it doesn't always work out so perfect because life is very complicated. You need wisdom from the Lord to take the word of God and to make it work into the nitty-gritty of these decisions we try to make every single day. And so Solomon... He asks for wisdom. And by God's grace, it's here for you now. He was led by the Spirit to write, and here we have the wisdom of God right in front of your face. Okay, so what's the goal of the book? Let's move into the goal. Look at verse 2 as we kind of flesh this out a bit. The point of the Proverbs, according to verse 2, it says, To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. So the goal of Proverbs is that you would know wisdom. Now, how in the world do you explain what wisdom is? Like, how do you even do that? Can, can you like, tell, what, what do we mean when we say wisdom? I just want to kind of give you a, a quick definition. I've shared this with some of you before. I'll put it up there again. Let me put it up on the screen. Wisdom is the God-given competence to navigate through the details of life for the glory of God. Now, let's leave that up there. I've shared this with you before sometimes. I know some of us don't do very well with definitions, so I actually had to create hand motions because I know some of you track better with hand motions. So see if you can track here. I'm going to do a little hand motions of this definition. So you ready? So wisdom is the God-given competence. So it comes from God. It comes as he gives his word, as he gives insight by his spirit. It's the God-given competence to navigate through the details of life for the glory of God. So wisdom comes from God. He gives it to us who ask, who seek. We live it out in the nitty-gritty of life, and we bring all the glory to him. comes from him, and the glory goes back to him. And so when we talk about wisdom, and when the Bible talks about wisdom, it talks in terms of skill and competence. We want to be competent people. We want to be skillful people. It talks about the competence of a sailor It talks about the skill of a craftsman or a weaver. It talks about the skill of a ruler or a judge or an administrator to make these these wise decisions. And we are talking about wisdom coming to us so that we can have competence and skill to navigate the details of life for the glory of God. That is why God gave us the Proverbs, so we can bring him glory as we skillfully live down here on this earth. But notice again, look at, look at the details of verse 2. He's, the Proverbs are given to know wisdom and instruction. And don't, don't pass over that word instruction too fast. It may not stick out to you much in your English Bible, but instruction involves the idea of correction, of discipline, of, of reproof or rebuke or, or training. And we grow in wisdom as we get challenged from mentors, 
those who may be discipling us, but we also grow in wisdom as we are rebuked and challenged from God's word and from God himself. The idea is that as we submit to rebuke and challenge from God's word, then we grow in wisdom. But here's the problem. I just want to say what the problem is right here. This is the problem with being with the instruction part. A lot of us struggle with being teachable. We struggle with being teachable. And if you're a student here, you you may say, you've got to be kidding me. I'm paying $50,000 plus per year to learn because I am teachable and I want to soak in what I'm being taught. One of the things that I've noticed in my years here at Evanston, and I'm going to be really nice in saying this, some of the most brilliant people in the world come here and I get to interact with them, and I think to myself, wow, they are so brilliant, and yet they're so dumb. When it comes to life, making wise decisions, it's like, how is it possible that you're working on that degree and you can't figure this out? It's because they find their hearts that they're so so arrogant and proud that they're so smart and they're ready to keep growing in that. But when it comes to life, they think they have it figured out. And none of us has that figured out. We all need to be teachable. Just like we would go to a class and say, okay, teach me. We need to go to God's word and say, okay, give me more because my thinking is messed up. Correct it. My motives are messed up. Correct them. I want to be teachable. I don't want to care how old I get. I continually want to be teachable. That's how we grow in wisdom, through this instruction or proof of God's word. Well, if you continue on, you'll see the Proverbs give us wisdom and knowledge, but look what else they give us. Verse 3. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. So as we receive this wisdom and instruction and correction in the Proverbs, then it makes us start to live these ethical lives. And this ethical behavior will manifest itself not just in personal holy living. It will also manifest itself in our community. Did you notice those words there of justice and equity? That as we we start to seek the wisdom from God's word and he starts to give us wisdom, we start to find places in our culture that are unjust, that lack equity, and we bring wisdom. Now, I don't want to say this in a way that may distract you, but basically what Proverbs is saying is that it gives us the ability, this is going to be a bad word, but this is going to give us ability to be activist. Now, that word can be hijacked and taken different places, but don't do that. When I'm talking about being an activist, I mean that we can take gospel truth or we speak the gospel that man can be reconciled to God through Jesus, but we also say... Let's bring some concrete changes. So Proverbs coming into us gives us wisdom to be an activist, gospel activist, to make concrete changes in our culture when we see signs of inequity or injustice. Many of you have a heart for a variety of issues you would like to see changed. Maybe you have a passion for fair housing issues maybe for the orphan crisis, destitute widows, trafficked women and children. 
And there's a variety of other causes and, and ways that we can get involved with those who are being oppressed. But I want to tell you this. If you're not careful, you can be so zealous, so zealous for justice issues, but if you do not have wisdom, you are just simply going to wear the T-shirt. Chances are you have injustice T-shirts of some sort. Maybe you have trafficking T-shirts, anti-slavery T-shirts, and your passion about this, this movement, you want to see no more children slaves, no more women trafficked in Chicago or around the world, and you have the T-shirt. But if you do not have wisdom how to interact with the issues, you're just going to wear the T-shirt. Some of my favorite T-shirts are adoption T-shirts, and I have some cool ones. I love adoption, and I love thinking about orphan care, and there's so many cool and fancy t-shirts out there, and I like to wear them, but I tell you what, if God does not give me wisdom, I'm just wearing t-shirts. And we cannot just be this passionate people that try to promote causes with our labels of what we're wearing if we don't have wisdom from God to do anything. I mean, we think that if there's a problem, we're smart, we're figuring it out. But if you've ever tried that before, it doesn't happen automatically. It takes time, it takes prayer, it takes a relationship with the Lord, it takes digging in His Word, it takes so many different small little things of wisdom in order to address these huge issues. And if you're not willing to seek the face of God and get wisdom how to address these justice issues, you'll just wear the T-shirt. We need wisdom from the Lord. That's why the Proverbs were given. Look at verse 4. They're also given to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. That means that the target of this book, I don't know if you know this, are young men. Any young, young men in here? A lot of you are. It's addressing the young man. doesn't mean it can't be applied to the young woman. Of course it can. But it's mainly addressing the young man. And it calls the youth here the simple and that's, that's, that's not a bad word. It just simply means that the simple person, the young man, is just naive. He's not really tested, been tested in life, doesn't have the realities of the smarts to know what to do in every situation. And so this wisdom is given to give him prudence. That means so he can discern the situations in life. He gets knowledge and discretion to choose good over evil. It's trying to get the young person, the young man, the young woman in here, not to rush unreflectively through life, just busting off decision after decision that is foolish, but to walk in wisdom. And, and don't be discouraged if you find yourself in here and you're kind of immature in the faith. You're immature in the Lord. Don't, don't, don't take that as a slam because it is better to be immature and simple than to be a fool. And Proverbs goes off on the fool. But the simple and the young and the naive, they're gullible, but they're not absolutely foolish. The way I look at the immature and the simple here in the book of Proverbs is, I, I just, I'm not being negative here, but I, I, I kind of view them as like the replacement refs in the, in the NFL. <laughs> now, I know maybe some of you don't connect with football, and that's okay. It's American sport. Um, but recently in the NFL, the football league, they, they've not had their normal referees until recently. They've had their replacement refs that are like from high school refereeing games, college referee games. And when they get into the NFL game, the NFL game is like fast-paced. 
and, and that they can't keep up with it. And so what, what has happened often in the past uh, three weeks of the season, there's been kind of some messed up calls and some weird, weird situations. The game's kind of slowed down. But this past Monday, maybe you know, the, the whole thing just came to a head in a game between uh, Green Bay and Seattle. So what happened in this game on the last play of the game to determine who's going to win the game, quarterback throws the ball up in the end zone, two different players two different, uh, on two different teams. They both, well, apparently, you can debate this later, but it looks like they both caught the ball at the same time in the end zone. So if one catches the ball, one team wins. If one catches the ball, the other team wins. But they both apparently kind of sort of look like they caught the ball, but you can debate that later, like I said. So the referees, two of them, both come upon the situation and look down and hesitate. And then they hesitate because they know that whatever decision they make is going to determine the game. And so at just the right time, as if on cue, both of their referees signaled at exactly the same time in opposite directions. (laughs) One signal, touchdown, game over, you win. Interception, you win. And it was interesting, I was reading uh, Dan Wetzel from Yahoo Sports, and he said this. He said, look, the replacement refs, they're not trying to mess up the game. They're not trying to. He says, in fact, they're so petrified at messing it up. They're so petrified that they overcompensate, and then they mess it up even more. And I thought, wow, that sounds a lot like me sometimes. It's like I'm like the replacement ref. I'm, I'm so petrified and messing things up in life, and there's areas I'm not immature, and then I overcompensate, and I mess things up even more. Maybe that describes your life. And what we kind of need is, is a way forward where we can take the wisdom from God's word, and what we have to do is we have to start to flesh it out in life. Because the replacement refs, their issue is not a lack of knowledge in the rules, is it? I think they know the rule book. It's like, how do you get the rules to apply into all the situations and scenarios at just the right time? And so we can know the the rules, but we need wisdom from God how to take it and just put it into all the details of life at just the right time. And that comes through maturity, through growing in the Word and His truth and through experience. That's why the Proverbs are given, for the simple. But it's not just for the simple and the immature. It's also for those of, of you who are very wise. Maybe you're older and wise. Maybe you're younger and wise. But it's also given so that you can continue to grow in wisdom. Did you know if you consider yourself wise, you will never hit a ceiling in your wisdom? You can keep growing. Look again at verse 5 and 6. It says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So if you're mature in the Lord, look what it says. It says that you can continue to hear and increase in learning. You can continue to dive into the depths of understanding and obtain further guidance from the Lord to understand his word. For those of you who are approaching retirement, maybe you are on the last... uh, last leg of your life, I don't know. And let's say, let's just go ahead and divide, let's divide your life up into 30s, okay? Got 1 through 30, 30 through 60, 60 through 90. Who's like in this realm here? You don't have to raise your hand, I can see you. But let's just say you're in this realm here, 60 through 90. What do many people think about that stage of life? It's time to quit working, and it's time to live large. Or at least relax like you're living large. 
I was reading a book recently, and I want to encourage those of you who are approaching that 60 through 90 phase. Let me put this book up for you. It's a book called The Third Third of Life, Preparing for Your Future. Some people believe that the last third of life is going to be your most unproductive years. And maybe you think that as well. It's going to be your most unproductive years. That you cranked it the other years, and now you're just going to kind of sail away and do whatever. But what this book is challenging, and I would say what Proverbs is telling you, is your life is not over. In fact, this last third can be your most productive years if you continue to seek the wisdom and guidance of God. Wouldn't it be awesome to see a 60-year-old seek guidance from the Lord just like a 20-year-old. Because you feel like, oh, you're, you're, you're in your 20s, man. You're really trying to make these big decisions and figure everything out. You're really seeking the face of God. I would say the same thing should happen when you're 60. You say, God, give me wisdom. My life is not over. I want to be productive for your glory. I want to live for you. I'm not done. Proverbs says, you can continue to increase in wisdom. You're not done. There is fruitful years ahead of you in serving the Lord. But none of this is going to make sense without verse 7. And that's where we end. Verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and destruction. Wisdom starts and continues in a relationship with the Lord characterized by fear. And when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we mean a combination of two things. We're talking about fear and faith. And when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, don't just say, it just means you're in awe of God. Like, what does that even mean? We, we define fear as you're in awe of God. Well, let's, let's get real specific what we mean by fear of the Lord. It means this. It means in your life, you realize that God is God and you're not, for starters. And the second thing is that God is a holy God and you are a broken, sinful person. And as you come into his presence, in some sense, initially you're like Isaiah. Woe is me, I'm doomed. And yet God turns that life of woe is me, I'm doomed in his holy presence into a life of faith. Where he takes that person and he uses them as they live a life of obedience and dependence upon the Lord. So fear of the Lord to me and understanding means you come into God's presence and you say, God, without you, I am nothing. Without you, I can do nothing. I am totally dependent upon you. Give me wisdom. Give me your life. I absolutely need you. I have nothing apart from you and I am nothing apart from you. That is kind of that, that dependence. But we're New Testament people with the New Testament. And when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we make the connection to Jesus Christ. Did you know that when Jesus was on this earth 2,000 years ago, there were people who were scared of him? And you never think about being scared of Jesus. He just looks so meek and mild. Why would you be scared of Jesus? Do you remember that interaction where Jesus and Peter had this interaction of this great catch of fish? And when Peter was involved, he, he was scared to death. And he said, Lord, Jesus, get out of here. Get away from me. I am a sinful man. And what, what did Jesus say? He said, hey, don't be afraid. I got a plan for your life. Now let's go catch 
men. I think that all of us, as we come into a relationship with the Lord, it should be a relationship that continues in this fear of the Lord, but it really initially starts with the fear of the Lord, where you come to a point in your life where you realize that God is God, you're not, he's holy, you're sinful, and you're totally broken over your sin. And you're convicted and you repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross for your sins. And he was raised three days later, and ascended to the right hand of the Father, and all those who repent and put their faith in Jesus can be accepted by a holy God. And if you are a believer or are going to be a believer, that is a moment of call, being called born again. Have you heard that word before? Where you're made new, where you're washed. And it comes through conviction of sin. It comes through a fear of the Lord. And it happened to me when I was 19. When I was 19, I was going to school in Arkansas, and I played tennis in Arkansas, and I convinced and tricked this Christian camp. Yes, I tricked them. I lied to them. And they hired me over the summer of my freshman year to be a camp counselor at a camp called Canacook in Missouri. And as I went on to the grounds of Canacook, I was a liar because I definitely was not a Christian. I was living a life of immorality, and I even tried to continue on my scene of immorality while I was at Canacook. Being among all these Christians is like I was at God's territory, and I was spitting in his face. But while I was there, I heard the gospel. And I'll never forget how convicted I was of my sins before a holy God. I was broken, and I was crying and asking him for forgiveness and receiving it through Jesus. It was that fear of the Lord. And the Spirit came to live in me at 19. And since then, I've, I've done some foolish things. But I tell you what, Jesus has given me wisdom. In fact, he has been the very wisdom from God and the wisdom for me from God. And that just comes and continues on in a relationship of fear, fear and faith. But the opposite of that is the fool. And look at the last part of 7. Verse 7 tells us that the fool, well, fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fool is a person who's rejected God. The fool is a person who says, you know what, I don't need you, God. I can handle this on my own. And you say, well, does that mean that someone who's not a believer in Jesus cannot be wise? Oh, no. You can be very wise and not be a believer in Jesus. In fact, some of the, I guess, wisest people in this world who've done a great discoveries are, are very wise in the discoveries and the cures they've found and the breakthroughs they've had. But get this. Their wisdom bumps up against the sun. Do you get me? Their wisdom bumps up against the sun. All their wisdom is capped down here on this earth. They see nothing else besides what we have here on this earth. It's like the sailor out here on Lake Michigan who's such a skilled sailor, but never acknowledging where the wind comes from or who ultimately guides them. It's like the rich man in Jesus' parable who was cashing in. Remember, he wanted to build these bigger barns. He was a great entrepreneur. He knew how to cash in. He said, you know what? I'm going to build these bigger barns, and I'm going to kick back, and I'm going to be on the front of a magazine cover of one of those guys who retired in their 30s. And what did Jesus say to him? You know what God said to him? You fool. Let me put it up for you. This is what God said in Luke 12, 20 and 21. God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you. 
and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. So this wise, foolish man may be a great entrepreneur that retired in his 30s, but you know what? It was all bumping up against the sun. Wisdom of this earth doesn't see that eternal judgment is coming. Doesn't see that there's reconciliation in Jesus Christ. Thinks they have it all covered and there's nothing else. They just die and float away. But those of us who are wise, walk in the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is found in a relationship through Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do over the next year... If you're going to hang with us, if you're going to stick with us, we're going to study the book of Proverbs, and we'll start actually getting into some Proverbs because we want to grow in wisdom. And I want to encourage you this week as you're living your life to start asking the question before you make decisions, ask this question, is it wise? Is it wise to take the job? Is it wise to go out with that person? Is it wise to do this or that? Ask that question, is it wise? And freshmen... You have four years to go at school. And I wish I would have had someone say to me as a freshman, start asking this question now. Because I don't know if you know this, four years flies. And if you start walking in wisdom now, the benefits later are going to be amazing. Because a lot can happen in four years. A lot can happen in anybody's life in four years. Look at what has happened in your life over the past four years. What you have done over the last four years to bring you to right now, have you made wise decisions? Are you where you want to be? And I know some of you cringe, right? There's grace. Get this. Unless you die or unless Jesus comes back, you are going to live another four years. How are you going to live it? If you have goals, how are you going to get there without wisdom? So, and a little exercise as we finish up here. Here's a little exercise I want to do. I want to do a little, little, a little game here. Not a game. I don't know what you call it. I want to do a little thing with you here. It's called reverse engineering your life. Reverse engineering your life. Let's find your goal and then figure out how you're going to get there. So let's just say in four years, you want to be at this point right near where you have dealt with that sin issue in your life. And you are... F- in a sense, free of that sin issue. doesn't mean you don't still fight, but there's a sin issue in your life right now, and in four years, you want to be completely, absolutely free. So let's go backwards and figure out how you're going to do that, because this is where you are right now. You're looking ahead. You say, in four years, I want to have that sin issue dealt with. I'm still going to fight and struggle, but I want to have some progress. So how are you going to get there? Magic? Is that just Magic? I mean, some of you act like you believe in magic. Like, what's your plan? How are you going to get there? What wise decisions are you going to make on a daily basis and walking with the Lord so that four years from now, you're not going to be that guy or that girl you were back there? And that comes through wisdom. Okay, let's do this. Let's just say in four years from now, and I know that most of you are single, let's say 60, 70% of you here this morning are single. Four years from now, you want to be by God's grace, you want to be in a godly marriage, a Christ-centered marriage. Go back. How are you going to get there? I know some of you, and I love you, 
Some of you are dating unbelievers, and I love unbelievers. But the Bible is very clear that we're not supposed to be dating unbelievers. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, how am I going to get there? That's my goal, and I'm dating a believer. Are you thinking you're going to be like, do kind of like this, mis- this missionary dating? You know, missionary dating, and then bam, no, no. If you want to get there in four years by God's grace, be the man of God. Be the woman of God. Make wise decisions that as you progress, if God brings someone into your life who's a believer, you're going to be making some progress here, if that's your goal, to end up here in four years. Two more and we're done. But those of you who have kids, if you're a believer, I know, I know, I know that you want your kids to be growing in Jesus and you want them to mature over the next four years. How are you going to get there? How are you going to get them there? Uh, Magic? Magic again? Magic? No, no. You have to start to walk with Jesus yourself. And you have to build into your kids every day and disciple them. It's not going to be these huge steps. But just little by little, you're building into your kids, building into your kids, building into your kids, Jesus. And four years from now, they're going to grow. And one last one. Some of you have big, huge, God-sized goals of things you want to accomplish in this world. They're just huge. You want to just go out and accomplish so many things gospel-centered for Jesus. And that's where you want to be in four years. How are you going to get there? I'm not even going to say the word again. You know what I mean? It starts with an M. Yeah, magic. Yeah. How are you going to get there? Wise decisions, walking in the fear of the Lord on a daily basis, seeking his face. Is it wise? Is it wise? Is it wise? Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. And there's your goal. My brothers and sisters, we do not need to be in the dark. We can know a holy God through Jesus Christ, and we can grow in wisdom through a relationship with him. And you guess what? He loves to give wisdom. He loves to give insight. And he loves to draw you closer and closer to his heart. And that's the direction we're going. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for revealing yourself on this earth through Jesus Christ, who is the very wisdom of God, and that we can know a holy God through Christ. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who are stuck right now, who are even visionless right now, who are distracted right now, and four years seems forever away. I just ask that you would help them think about today and their relationship with you and what they need to address today. Lord, if there is marriage problems in this church, may people deal with those today and start to take steps so they're not dealing with a disaster in four years. If we have sin in our life, Lord, may we address that and find forgiveness in Christ today so in four years from now we don't have disaster. Lord, make us walk in your wisdom with joy and have insight where we are just worshipers giving glory to you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.